We are looking at a screen on a laptop that has a, a picture or a screenshot of a game that's called a Village Builder. The Village Builder is a brain power game, which is really meant for neurodevelopment uh, assessment of uh, children whose brains have been injured. And it's meant or built specifically to help them to repair or improve their brain capabilities. And here with me is uh, Michael Boavin. And uh, Michael Boavin is a professor and psychiatry uh, research program director at Michigan State University in the U.S. And we also have Jeff Seattle, who is a professor of media and information at Michigan State University in the U.S. And he's also a software developer. So he's really like the man in charge of the artificial intelligence that goes into the development of these uh, brain power games. And I just want him to take us a little bit in a minute into what happens on the game, how it's played. I understand you need a phone or maybe a tablet, a computer, a desktop to be able to use it. Correct. Yeah, the games are played on pretty standard tablet devices. Uh, they're touchscreen tablets, so the kids are interacting with them via um, via touch. Um, Village Builder specifically is a world builder type game, um, kind of similar to SimCity. That would be sort of the model game for these types of um, for these types of games. Uh, and the child is tasked with developing and building a village from scratch um, using resources and supplies that they're given within the game. Um, as they build their village, uh, more people can come to the village. The game increases in its difficulty. Uh, and, and we sort of use this to um, to help sort of reconnect those pathways um, in the child's brain. Hello and welcome to our daily podcast around Uganda with me, Razia Athman. I thought I'd give you a snippet into what we are going to discuss today, which is a brain power game and how these games can be used to help uh, children who have neurological you know problems should i call sh should i call them that but of course we have professors here who will help us understand with the scientific jargon and i want professor michael boavan to introduce to us this project and specifically why are you here in uganda well we've been working in uganda i have since 2003 where that year we looked at the neurodevelopmental effects of severe malaria, anemia, cerebral malaria, complicated malaria in younger children for the most part, and then following them up to see if they survived the acute cerebral malaria hospitalization and subsequent um, neurological treatment and support, perhaps for seizures or epilepsy oftentimes. Um, neurocognitively, what could we do to help them at that point? Neurodevelopmentally, what could we do to help them, uh, to help them really recover uh, the hope of achieving their full capacity, which um, might be available to them had they not suffered from this, this serious brain injury or brain health developmental setback? Well, early on, in the case of... of um, severe malaria later with children um, living with HIV 
then in other contexts, uh, severe malnutrition, trauma, uh, other kinds of, of brain injury, meningitis, other infections, and the toxic exposures. Early on, our strategy was if, it, if we could get to the, the mother and help her or the caregiver help her train in practical strategies for enriching the early learning environment of that child in practical ways in the homes, that um, we could see a great hope, a, a much more significant likelihood of improving the, the, the recovery of that child. But once that child reached school age, they may be spending less and less time in, in the home. At, at that point, do we have to rely on a formal educational or classroom setting? Or are there other avenues where we could intervene and continue to enrich and enhance their brain recovery, brain health, and assessing the neurodevelopmental um, profile of these children throughout their early into middle childhood. And for us, the key was games. Games that were not just for entertainment, but engineered for both measuring specific kinds of cognitive abilities of these developing children once they reach school age, but also could be harnessed to help rehabilitate specific areas of deficit or difficulty by practicing and presenting uh, targeted games for those specific areas. The attention of a child, um, the impulsivity of a child in dealing with, say, behavior problems and issues, um, areas of visual-spatial analysis, problem-solving, language development, short-term memory, and then learning and long-term learning. All these different domains of cognitive development, we became good at assessing with the help of specific targeted games. And then, depending on the profile, the needs of that child, um, customizing a game package to really help rehabilitate over, let's say, 24 sessions, an hour long, two or three every week, or depending on what the child's school or availability was. Um, but even across 24 sessions, we could see, uh, even with children with more serious brain injury, let's say after cerebral malaria, we could see recovery in certain areas of memory, of learning, of attention, of problem solving. Uh, and now the, the the challenge was, well, how to make this type of technology accessible, affordable, um, even more powerful. The reason why I was asking why Uganda is because you know that access to healthcare is already very difficult for for most Ugandans, unfortunately. And there are so many uh, children out there, and I will get the statistics right, who have already suffered from a form of a brain injury. But if they cannot afford to treat uh, malaria, how then can they even afford to treat the effects of malaria, which tend to be uh, hidden in the brain? How are you going to reach out to the majority of Ugandans who badly need uh, this intervention? What's amazing is that 
these types of games, this type of technology, can provide a diagnosis of developmental delays and brain injury from a neurocognitive, neuromotor standpoint, can reach where no doctor can go or is available. Because in Uganda, even though so many areas lack adequate health care and infrastructure for health care as, as well as medicines and treatment, even diagnostics, virtually all of Uganda has mobile phone coverage. And that'll be the key, is providing through mobile phones to the affordable and, and accessible devices, and that's kind of where the limiting factor is now, but accessing even the most remote areas of Uganda and much of the rest of the developing world with mobile network technologies that can be harnessed to provide access to the cloud. And the cloud is a whole nother area now of potential promise and danger mm. that I can let uh, Professor Jeff Ciardo yes. talk more about. That's really his area of expertise. But not just neurocognitive game diagnostics, but now biosensor diagnostics through mobile phones and networks, other kinds of, of um, lab tests that could be done remotely. We have a whole area of Michigan State and within our medical engineering department, which is dedicated to um, lab tests that could be done and transmit results remotely through a mobile phone. And if you could combine that type of medical diagnostic technology from remote areas through your phone to neurocognitive, <laughs> neurodevelopmental diagnostics through a short game that a child would enjoy playing, yeah. uh, so suddenly you've got an avenue of reaching the whole of the country in, in some way, uh, whereas otherwise, unless they could travel in some cases to Kampala, they might never have a chance. <clears throat> So, but of course, there will still be uh, the need for setting up such infrastructures because, as you already know, we have still technological challenges in terms of even the devices and also the internet connectivity. But that's something we'll um, expound on with Jeff because he's the the, the 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 man behind the artificial intelligence and how it works. <laughs> but you mentioned something uh, earlier, uh, Professor, which is that broken a broken brain cannot be repaired, but there are things that can be done to improve uh, the brain's uh, capabilities. So, and here you're talking about, from what I'm hearing, mostly the the patients who've suffered uh, a disease and are now experiencing the impacts of that disease. But can this also be used to directly help uh, maybe patients who have, say, inherited neurological issues? For my generation, and I'm, I'm like a little, um, autism is a very sure. common, common problem here in Uganda. Yeah, no, autism is a great example. Um, we've, we've actually have pioneered the use of these types of um, eye tracking, which can now be done. That technology can be done through the tablet or mobile device, combined with social imaging videos 
to actually diagnose early stage autism in children. Um, and then at that point, <clears throat> to begin to present at least different types of behavioral training and intervention programs for the parents, <clears throat> to at least to give them some tools within the home that could begin to help for that autistic child. So diagnostically, and even in terms of intervention, if you can help the parents at least start with some basic understanding and skills. With aging adults, there's been a lot of research in the United States, for example, that has gone into brain recovery and re rehabilitation through games and other types of electronic media. Um, in early stage Alzheimer's disease and vascular dementia. And we've actually, our group has pioneered some of that work with games in aging adults living with HIV now into their second, third decade as they reach into their <clears throat> aging years. What does their brain health look like of early stage Alzheimer's or vascular associated dementia combined with having lived with HIV and its effects for decades now? So the key is, we, if we have the medical means to keep children, adults, those who before we would lose early on, to and now we can keep them alive, but their quality of life, then it comes to the brains. What is their status developmentally throughout the lifespan? What could be done that's of practical and accessible intervention? either in training the caregivers or in caregiver um, enhancement or combined with technological interventions and enrichment and enhancement. So the games are not a cure-all or an end-all of themselves, but they could be a powerful toolkit when combined with the immediate training and health encouragement and capacity building of the social, medical environment, what, at whatever level it's available to provide a more complete package in, uh, to help bring about healing and recovery over the long term, not just the body and not just the brain, but the whole person. Okay. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Professor, for expounding on that. Now, come back to you, uh, uh, Professor Seattle, mm -hmm. on uh, artificial intelligence, the technology itself, and the issue of, you know, getting uh, this technology uh, accessible to the Ugandans who are not in urban areas. And those are the majority of Ugandans and who need <coughs> such interventions more uh, than anyone because that's where we have cases of malaria that's where we have uh, neurological conditions going you know undiagnosed sometimes untreated because people have limited access to healthcare where there's healthcare facilities it's probably expensive or very far away from their mm -hmm. homes so uh, first of all I just want to understand how the games work like if we are to choose a community in Uganda today and we said, okay, we want to maybe run a project of a month or two to help children in this community, what would what would be required? Right. So initially the initial games were developed in a way that they we sort of needed to bring people into a uh, a facility to have them use the games in a 
in a healthcare facility, in a lab environment. Um, the data from those games then was transferred back to our servers in, in Michigan, in East Lansing. Um, this works, but it's a fairly inefficient process. And, and like you said, um, not everybody can get to a population center, to a city where they can then get to a healthcare facility or lab where they can, they can experience these games. So, um, what I've been doing on this project is sort of examining whether we could, whether these games could be effective in, in homes in without having to have people come into a centralized area. And so in order to do that, the games need to be able to sort of talk to us, but from, a from remote areas. And so, um, we've done some internet surveys, both here in Uganda, um, and in Malawi to make sure that the infrastructure could support such a um such an architecture um and it turns out that the 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 wireless infrastructure um in these parts of africa is actually quite good and is is plenty of uh bandwidth to support that type of um that type of work so because of that we're able to then move the sort of um the data centers that collect all of this data we can move those to closer locations and so instead of them being in east lansing or in uh in michigan or in the united states we can move them to a data center in south africa or the middle east a, a place that's closer to the uh the the population group that we're looking at and so the the wireless infrastructure um combined with the cloud services which is our ability to move that data to other parts of the world, um, sort of enable a more efficient data transfer uh, for the games. So it allows us then to have those games in the field and to be used at this point via hotspots um, in those different areas. But I think in the future, you could um, you could develop and make those games even more efficient so that they run on less expensive hardware. Um, uh, phones and tablets that are more readily available in these areas, um, and also available for, um, for less expensive, for a, a less expensive price. And so, um, to go back to your question, how would we, how would we sort of do this for a particular community? Um, I think the first step for uh, any particular community is to make sure that they have the, the wireless infrastructure. We, we explored some fairly rural areas, both around Uganda and, and in Malawi and found the connections even at pretty great distances from main wireless towers to still be sufficient to handle the data that comes back and forth from the games. And so, so long as that particular community has um, the, the sort of bandwidth that we've seen in our studies, uh, we would be able to, we would be able to bring those games to that community on tablets with hotspots, and they would be able to, to have the same interactions with those games that they would in the lab. They wouldn't have to come to a population center. They wouldn't have to come to a specialized facility that's got, um, that, that has the research labs. Okay. Back to you, Professor Boavo. This is more like a study, what you're calling an assessment. Are you already working with uh, such children? Are you putting this into uh, some sort of test, a pilot study? Yeah, we've actually gotten quite far in terms of what are called clinical trials of the sensitivity and the power of our assessments, both diagnostically in detecting developmental problems for these children who have suffered from brain injury, 
but also now rehabilitatively, how much can we repair over how many training sessions, over what period of time, depending on how serious that brain injury was from our clinical assessment through the, in this case, let's say, cerebral malaria, or as a result of, of the severity of infection with HIV in the early childhood um, stage. So we've worked with actual Ugandan groups on Tororo, in Kayunga, um, with, in cooperation with um, McCrary University, Johns Hopkins University, HIV-affected children um, throughout greater Kampala, and uh, we've also partnered with, with uh, malaria and HIV survivors uh, in Malawi. So we've had a chance now to, to work with real children from these real families, real settings, and to evaluate our games, which is why finally now we're, we, we think we're at the stage of um, going you know, prime time, so to speak, making them available more broadly uh, via the cloud and to see how we can scale up these types of, of game provisions diagnostically, therapeutically, scale them up for entire communities for all manner of children at risk. And even children not necessarily at risk, we're finding that the games, no matter where a child is at, from in the aftermath of brain injury or in the in the you know in, ter- in the course of what we would call perhaps normal development because we always include um, non non affected groups non injured groups for comparison's sake and we also have a pretty good understanding of how well the games work for these children and optimizing their neurocognitive development we're ready now with the help of the cloud, with the help of the technological expertise of folks like Professor Ciardo to begin to distribute, to disseminate and empower machine learning algorithms to help us even further improve the diagnostic power and potential of these types of, of games. Yeah. Um, and normally when uh, we talk games, so for mothers, for example, they're advised to mm-hmm. buy kids uh, games that will, you know, challenge their thinking. Mm-hmm. So there are games such as uh, the very popular, the building blocks, which normally should help, uh, should challenge someone's brain and their thinking. Yeah. Um, how are you incorporating uh, that? That's a great question. In early childhood, one of our training programs for mothers of children living with HIV or affected by HIV, for example, was to help mothers build uh, engaging toys from just household items and giving them ideas and training in terms of practical sort of play and enrichment activities. Um, in the home that that were not have you know manufactured or or even needing to go to to the market, how to optimize what's available in the home and even inexpensive types of, of toys or objects maybe maybe locally available, but yet use those in a powerful way with very young children 
and it's really not just the games or the toys or activities themselves, but it's the bonding that takes place between mother or grandmother or auntie, between caregiver and child, and that interaction that helps strengthen not only the neurodevelopment of the child over time, but also the social and emotional. And I would extend that to even moral and spiritual development, that there's that potential too, even though Sadly, we haven't looked at that as closely within our own medical context. But not to say that within Ugandan uh, research as it advances, it, that it, it can really teach us a lot about the importance of those domains as well. So practical, in-the-home types of activities that further bond caregiver and child is where you begin, and especially through the first 1,000 days into early childhood. But now the question becomes, as that child reaches the school age years, beyond relying on the local school, and you may have a child in a class of hundreds for a single teacher, they may or may not get much attention in, you know, if they're not in private school or they don't have the means or it's more of a rural public school setting, what do you do then? Can you, can you provide a complementary kind of cognitive enrichment to help those children have a chance even children who can't afford school fees, maybe children who have dropped out of school early, maybe they're not yet literate because of the nature of whatever education is available or not available to them. Can we still reach them with these types of games if we just have access to a mobile device, which almost every household now, even upcountry, more and more has to have and does have. And if they, if nothing else, they, there's a there's a, a mobile phone, a smartphone, and even a tablet somewhere somehow. Now can we reach groups of children even if that's all? There's just one tablet for that that particular community or extended household. Can we still reach that that group of children with that one tablet, that one smartphone, that one media device, and? assess and enrich and enhance their quality of life. We believe we can. And we don't take the place of schools. We don't take the place of families. We don't take the place of health clinics. But it can be an important uh, tool, powerful tool to complement that when combined with other biosensor, biomedical diagnostic technologies, which we don't lose sight of, how to bundle these types of healthcare packages together, brain, body, and soul into a package of where every child everywhere has an opportunity for a better life. Thank you so much, Professor Michael Boavan, a professor and psychiatry research program director at Michigan State University. And thanks to you, uh, Professor Jeff uh, Seattle, a software developer and also professor of media and information at Steele Michigan State University. And thank you for the insights into computer games engineered to strengthen neurocognitive uh, skills and help children who have had their brains, unfortunately, uh, injured by several factors, which we are very familiar with here in Uganda. Malaria still among the leading uh, killers, maybe number one killer in Africa, and we still are struggling with it. And we are also struggling with several uh, neurological 
issues and defects, some of them even by birth, like he mentioned, uh, autism. And thank you so much uh, to you out there who's been listening to this uh, podcast around Uganda. Uh, my name is Razia Athman. We'll hear again from you or you'll hear from us. For more of a New Vision podcast, you can always log on to www.newvision.co.ug forward slash podcast. Or if you haven't already, do download the Vision Digital Experience app.